Hello, it's David here, and thank you for listening to The Leader. We bring you news, analysis, interviews, and commentary every day at 4pm. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. As a warning about tougher lockdown restrictions comes, why aren't supermarkets doing more to make people wear face masks in stores. They don't have the civil enforcement powers to, uh, as one CEO said to me yesterday, put their shoppers in a half Nelson and march them out of the store if they refuse to wear a mask. Our city editor Jim Armitage as the big names are summoned to a meeting with ministers and police. And... To be honest, his arrival does not come a moment too soon. There are currently calls for compulsory anti-racism training at every level of our legal system. Crime correspondent Anthony France on his interview with the first black male CPS chief prosecutor, Lionel Lydon. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, supermarkets and face masks. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reid, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Walk into any supermarket, presuming you didn't have to queue in the first place, and you'll see all manner of coronavirus measures. There's often hand gel at the door. There will be signs reminding you of two-metre social distancing. Some stores have plexiglass, keeping staff and customers apart. And there's usually a notice telling you to wear a mask, and walking right past it, there's sometimes someone doing exactly the opposite, with no one from the store doing anything about it. Search through social media and you'll find a lot of people asking a lot of questions about that, and that now includes government ministers and the police. They've summoned supermarket bosses to a meeting to ask why the law isn't being enforced. Our city editor Jim Armitage has a story. Jim, why are people getting away with not wearing face masks in stores? Well, the problem is for the supermarkets is that, well, they're not the police. They're not an enforcement body. They don't have the civil enforcement powers to, uh, as one CEO said to me yesterday, put their shoppers in a half Nelson and march them out of the store if they refuse to wear a mask. You know, their staff are supermarket staff. They're not policemen. So they say, and this is the law, that it's the police or local council official marshals to do the enforcement for them. So they've been kind of summoned to this meeting with ministers and police, Jim. What do we think is going to be said there? Yeah, it does feel very much like a summons. I mean, it's being portrayed as a collective getting together of ideas. You know, why is it not working? How can we enforce compliance without causing 
too much friction with with shoppers. I mean, the phrase in the uh, in the agenda which we've seen is how we can quotes collectively promote compliance quotes with the rules. So that's it's basically trying to work out how the police the supermarkets and the local council officials can sort of enforce this compliance. And it is difficult because there are people who are exempt from wearing masks, aren't there, Jim? This is the problem and, and you can't necessarily, well, obviously the, the shopkeepers don't want to be uh, prying into checking why people are exempt if they say they are. Obviously, if you say you're exempt, then the shops have to sort of go with that. But again, that could just be an excuse for those who the sort of anti-mask brigade who just don't want to wear a mask so again it's it's a very muddy area and very very difficult to police and of course right now the food industry the supermarkets are just about the only sector that's doing well out of this pandemic (laughs) yeah the the supermarkets and the banks are both having a good war there i mean let's not feel too aggrieved though at the um, the fact that supermarkets are having a, a good time of it in terms of revenue that let's not forget they kept us fed through extremely difficult trying circumstances over the last seven months and while their takings have gone through the roof because so many of us who would have been maybe eating out once or twice a week are now buying all of our food in the supermarkets while they are getting those increased takings they're also having to invest many 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 millions of pounds on hiring new staff to cope with the deluge of new customers uh, new staff to put on all of the um, the home shopping which is which is surged astronomically i mean we've had i remember one boss telling me we've had about f- five years worth of expected growth in online shopping in the course of five months so that's all cost the retailers absolute fortune so Profits are up, sales are up massively, but it is costing them at the same time. And then there is Christmas coming up. There's a lot of uncertainty about how or what Christmas is going to look like in the UK this year. How's it looking for the supermarkets and their sales? Again, this is like the multi-billion pound question for them, uh, literally in terms of sales. Christmas traditionally being the biggest shopping period for grocers of the year. uh, And it is so uncertain at the moment. I mean, particularly when almost day by day we get new rules on uh, lockdowns, trying to predict how many people are going to be having huge, expensive family get-togethers is damn nigh impossible to to predict it's uh, it's proving very tricky and halloween as well is um also a tricky one i don't think there'll be many kids uh, in liverpool going around knocking on people's doors to do trick or treat next he started as a domestic violence prosecutor and he actually his team were the team that successfully prosecuted two of Stephen Lawrence's killers. Anthony France on the appointment of the first black male chief prosecutor in the history of the CPS. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 
For the first time in its 34-year history, the Crown Prosecution Service has a black male chief prosecutor. Lionel Iden stepped up to the role and spoke into the Evening Standard about his commitment to bring real change. Our editorial column says there's a lot to do. Last month, for example, barrister Alexandra Wilson was mistaken for a defendant three times in one day at court. Meanwhile, the Bar Standards Board says ethnic minority students are almost half as likely to get a pupillage than white students with similar levels of academic attainment. Lionel Iden can't alter much of this, but his presence in a senior role sends a valuable message in encouraging change. Londoners should wish him well. Our crime correspondent, Anthony France, has interviewed Lionel Iden for the newspaper. and You can also find that at standard.co.uk. Anthony's with me now. There have been several race issues highlighted in the courts and the criminal justice system recently, Anthony. He's going to have a lot of work on his plate, isn't he? I think so. And I think he um, knows the enormity of the job that he's got. Um, and to be honest, his arrival does not come a moment too soon. Um, there are currently calls for compulsory anti-racism training at every level of our legal system. Um, And the reason for that is even at the start um, of their careers, um, student lawyers are half as likely, uh, if they're black, uh, to get pupillages uh, than white students with the same qualifications. Um, Just 1.1% of QCs are black in this country. And even as they go up the ladder, although they're overrepresented in applications to join the judiciary, uh, they're less likely to be successful. You know, this is the justice system where judges and we, we need, you know, judges from ethnic minorities because, uh, as David Lammy's report found, uh, black offenders are more likely to get a custodial sentence than their white criminals for the same offences. And when you consider those statistics, when you look at those, this idea that he is the first black male chief prosecutor at the CPS doesn't seem so outlandish, does it? No. I mean, um, he comes with an impressive um, legal uh, pedigree. He started um, as a domestic violence um, prosecutor. um, And he actually, his team were the team that successfully uh, prosecuted uh, two of Stephen Lawrence's killers in 2012. But there's never been a black man in this position before, although he says he doesn't want to be a poster boy. No, and I think um, he set his stall out very early on. Um, he said that, um, you know, he, he, he doesn't want to be a poster boy, but he wants to bring about real change. I mean, if there's anybody in the legal system who knows what real change looks like, it's him. Um, he grew up in Ghana, uh, where his father lectured in art and literature. Um, and he said he had no concept of, concept of racism until he arrived here in the, in the UK. Um, but yeah, I mean, he it, it does sound like, you know, he, he's going to, go out there he says you know look you know yes I know the enormity of it um, you know but he says that this is a watershed moment uh, in the journey of the CPS. And he himself thinks he's going to have quite a big caseload looking at the, the interview you've done with him he's talked about how the far right is using coronavirus as an excuse to attack Asian people. 
That's right. Yeah, um, there have been um, a number of prosecutions um, led by some of some of the teams, some of his teams. Um, but you know, the, the police have uh, been concerned for some time that the far right have been using coronavirus as an excuse to um, attack uh, people from East and Southeast Asia. Um, and he says he's ready to tackle hate crime in London. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, he hasn't got an easy job. Um, but but by the sound of it, uh, you know, he's prepared for what he's about to face. And I think most Londoners wish him luck. Did you get an impression when you were speaking to him that this is a man who was wary of what he was going to have to do? Or did he seem to be just up for it? I'm going to do this and I'm going to take this on. Yeah, I think I think very much he, he sounded like he was up for this. He knows that the the courts need to be better, better represented of uh, the communities that they serve. Um, you know, this is a, definitely a guy, you know, who, you know, as he says, his, his interest in law was sparked uh, by chance when he went to visit a court to observe a sketch artist and he was then hooked by the case um, and the legal teams involved. And, and, and as I said, uh, you know, he's, he says, I'm ready to work with people. It sounds like he's got law in his blood. And that's The Leader. You can keep up with all the latest COVID-19 developments with the Evening Standard's live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm.